This morning, I want to I, I ask you a question. And I, I've got a few questions that I want to ask you, but I, I want to ask you a question. But before I, ask you, wanna, before I ask you that question, um, today we're going to be wrapping up, closing up, finishing off the series, People of Purpose. Um, and it's been, it's been a really good series. I've really, really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed studying the people in the Bible. I've enjoyed learning from them. I, I feel like there have been so many keys um, and, and clues and just the Lord's really spoken to me strongly during this series. And uh, so today, as, as I was preparing for the last couple of weeks, just knowing today was we're, we're wrapping it up, I was like, God, I don't feel right about wrapping this up. And I've been wrestling with this all week, you know, because we're not going to physically continue the series, but I wasn't okay with the thought of, oh, we're wrapping up studying what it means to be a person of purpose. Because in reality, we're always meant to be growing as a person of purpose. And we're always meant to live our lives as a person of purpose. And so the question that I want to ask you, it's, it's two words, very simple. The question is, what now? What now? Because, you know, we, we've spent the last 10 weeks or so studying amazing men and amazing women of God. Men and women of God who, you know, weren't perfect, but like they had a call, they lived by their call, they inspired people, they were leaders, they were passionate, they saw breakthrough, they obeyed the word of the Lord. And we spent 10 weeks or so studying them. And each week it's been different and each week there's been something focused on it and there's so many different things that we've pulled out. But each week we've walked away with something different. And now we're in a position where I believe the Lord is asking us the question, hey guys, what now? What now? What are you going to do with what you've been given? What are you going to do with what you've learned? What now? And it got me thinking, who in the Bible possibly had a a similar scenario? Maybe not spent 10 weeks in a sermon series, but maybe they heard the word of the Lord and God called them or God shared something with them. And they were, they were stuck in the same position, or not stuck, but they were in the same position as us, asking the question, what now? And on Thursday this week, as I was, I was spending some time talking with Matt about it, instantly, just uh, as I was having a conversation with Matt, God just started talking to me. And he was like, look at Moses. I'm like, God, why, why would I look at Moses? Like, I'm wrapping up the series. I don't want to look at another person. I just want to kind of summarize it. He's like, no, look at Moses. So I was like, okay. So I went home that afternoon and I opened up to Exodus, to the beginning of Exodus, and I started to relook again at Moses. You know, because Moses is, uh, it was funny, when we were planning on doing this series, we were listing like a whole bunch of names. We, we ended up having like 20 or so names um, that we were like, yeah, we want to talk about these people. And we mentioned Moses' name a couple of times, but it never got on the board because we were like, ah, you know, everyone does Moses. Everyone's heard Moses. You know, we, everyone knows his story. It's a, there's a movie made out of it. We don't need to do Moses. And uh, here I am wanting to talk about Moses. So that's really cool. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Exodus. We're going to start in chapter 2. In case there's anyone in the room who doesn't know the story of Moses, let me just quickly give you a little bit of backstory about it. Um, So we're going to start in chapter 2 where Moses is put in a basket and he's pushed out to the river. His mother did this because... Pharaoh was wanting to kill all the firstborn Hebrews. And so Moses gets put in a basket, gets pushed out into the river. Somehow the basket floats all the way to the palace. Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses in the basket and is like, oh my gosh, there's a baby in here. Calls to one of her servants, come and take care of this baby. And she calls him his own and names him Moses. And so here we are 
in, up at verse 11. And it says, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown older, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, who was one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out on the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? And then he said, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. So we have here Moses. He sees one of his Hebrews being beaten, one of his brethren being beaten. And he goes and he kills the Egyptian. And then the next day, he's trying to stop these two Hebrew men from fighting. And one of them says to him, hey, like, who made you in charge of us? Like, who said that you were the prince and to judge and rule over us? Like, didn't you just kill this guy yesterday? We saw you do that. And Moses gets scared and he flees. I, I find it so interesting that Moses in that moment experiences fear from a question from one of his brethren. You see, because Moses was raised as a Egyptian. Moses grew up in the Pharaoh's home he grew up a prince. He grew up being raised by the Egyptians. And here he gets confronted by a Hebrew, a person who's technically his slave, a person who he, as a prince, is a ruler and judge. And they question him and he fears. And then Pharaoh hears about the fact that Moses murdered someone. And Moses, again, is in fear and he runs away. You know, I often think, when I've read this, and I've read this so many times, but I, I often think about this, like, there are so many things in this world that aren't going right. So many things. Just like Moses. Just like he saw his Hebrew brethren being beaten, it wasn't right. It's an injustice. It's not right. And, and so often, so often, out of d- good desires and, and good passion, we take matters into our own hands. And we decide to do things out of our own strength. Just like Moses here. Moses Moses could have commanded the Egyptian to stop beating the Hebrew. Because he was a prince. He he grew up in Pharaoh's house. So therefore, he's a man of authority. He actually could have commanded the Egyptian, Hey mate, can you stop beating that guy? Or throw him in jail, but don't beat him. Why did he kill him? What made him in that moment kill him? And obviously we don't know the answer to that, but it it got me thinking like, oh, like, look at what happens when we decide to act out of our own authority and not the authority that's been given to us. Look what happened when Moses didn't operate under the authority that was given to him and he chose to take matters into his own hands. Check out what happened. Someone died and Moses had to flee. If we go down further now to... We're going to go to chapter 3. And now at this point in the story, Moses has been met at the well by uh, the, seven, the seven women who were the daughters of Ruel, 
who was a Midian, Midianite. Moses gives them water. They go back to their father and they say, oh, this man helped us. He brings Moses to his family, to, his, to where he is set up. He feeds Moses and gives Moses one of his daughters to marry. Ma- Moses marries one of his daughters and has a son. And now we're here at chapter 3. Moses was tending to a flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock back to the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire. However, the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why does a bush not burn? I think that is one of one that is probably one of my favorite and I think one of the most profound Bible verses that there is. Because from what we know about Moses, Moses is a man who he, he has a speech impediment, is a man who is fearful. He's a man who previously in, in Egypt, didn't understand the authority that was given to him. However, in this moment, Moses is walking, walking, walking. He's tending to his flock. He sees something that could potentially be scary, but he decides to turn aside and look and turn aside and check it out. His curiosity for what it was led him to that. It says in verse four, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God looked to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses replied, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And then the Lord said, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters and for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites and the Ammonites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So Moses is encountering God. Moses is encountering the Lord in, in the flesh. He sees this bush. Moses is overcome because he is afraid of the Spirit of God. So he's, he shoes it off. His face is in the ground and God's speaking to him. In verse 10, it says, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And then going on over the next chapter or so, Moses poses four questions back to God. They're not really questions. Well, they kind of are questions, but they're concerns. Moses is worried. Moses is stressed. The subtitles in my Bible are, who am I? What is his name? They will not believe me. I am slow of speech. Disqualification, 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 disqualification. I can't do this. I can't do this. Fear, doubt, worry, can't do it. Fear, doubt, worry, I can't do it. What now? Four times Moses replies to the Lord 
And obviously God replies to him every time. But four times, Moses comes back to God and says like, hey, I'm not good enough. Hey, there's this reason, there's this thing that you should know about, which would say like, oh, I probably shouldn't do this. What part of our lives, what are some of the things that God has told us to do, told us to do, sorry, that maybe we question because we think we know ourselves better than God? What now? What now? I know for myself, like, you know, there, there have been things that I've had to do in, in my life in the last few years, in the last few months. There, there have always been things that I've had to do where I'm like, all right, God, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Let me try and think up of an excuse so that I don't have to do what I hear you saying to tell me to do. Wait, I've got one. X, Y, Z. X, Y, Z, God. That's a really good excuse. Like, you're probably going to listen to that one. Nathan, my son, no. But God, this, this, like, there's still like this in my life. Nathan, no. But wait, 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 wait. Actually, but I did this last week, which then means that I can't do this this week. Nathan, no. Nathan, no. Moses, no. Moses, no. What now? What now? You see, I think, I think we, and, and I'm going to make a statement here, and it's okay if you don't agree with the statement. This is me taking a step because I'm about to make a really bold statement. And I don't know if I should, or I know, I know that I should, but I don't know if I want to. I think fear is the most socially accepted sin in the church. I think fear is one of the most, if not the most, socially accepted sin in the church. That stings, doesn't it, when you think about it? I mean, it stings me. You know, we, we talk about saying like, you know, it's, it's bad to swear and it's bad to, to do this and it's bad to do that, X, Y, Z. But in, in the back of our minds, in the back of our hearts, in the back of our lives, there's this little thing called fear, which if you're not careful, can become a loud thing called fear. Fear. I personally really dislike fear. I personally don't like when I fear fearful, when I feel fearful. It's not nice. It's not nice to feel afraid of something. But there have been so many times in my life where I, there have been times where I've not listened to the voice of fear and there have been times where I have listened to the voice of fear. And I'm sure everyone in this room could agree with the same thing, saying there are times where I don't listen and there are times that I do. And you see, I think there may have been some things that were shared in this series. Personally for me, there were, there were a couple of times in this series where someone was preaching and saying something and I'm like, oh, like that pricks a spot in my heart because I know that I'm not really great in that area. What am I going to do about it? And then the thought process starts of like, well, I could do this. Oh, wait, hang on. Maybe I won't do that because of this. That's fear. Maybe I won't do that because, you know, I, I, I care about what people think. Maybe I won't do that because, oh, I just, I don't want to look weird in front of people. Maybe I won't take that risk because I'm afraid that I might screw up. Fear 
fear, fear. And now I'm not exalting fear, but I'm just saying like, let's, let's call the elephant in the room, the elephant in the room. Fear is something that we all deal with. And, and fear is something that Moses dealt with. And four times in a row, four separate conversations about separate things, the Lord replies to his fear. The Lord replies to his fear. I remember, I remember a couple of years back in BSSM, we were having this like worship night kind of thing. And I felt like God told me something to share with everyone. And um, like, uh, you, you know, when God speaks, you're just like, oh, God's talking to me. I have to share this. But I was so afraid. So, so afraid. Because there was like 300 people in the room. And I feel like God's talk, talking to me about something. And he, he's wanting me to go share it. But I'm like, oh, hang on a second. Did I really just hear you, God? And then the next question is, hang on a second, but there are so many people in this room. Do I really want to share that in front of this many people? Hang on a second. Maybe it's just meant to be for one person, not everyone in this room. Maybe I just need to find one person to share it with them. And I went down this, this spiral of trying to find excuses because I was afraid. Trying to find a way to say, hey, God, like, hang on a second. Your words, like you've spoken to me, great. But uh, no, no, no. I don't believe that fear can exist when we are truly surrendered and obedient to the Lord. Because in God, there is no fear. There is fear of the Lord. There is fear of the Lord in, in that sense. But in terms of fear that takes away, that is not a part of the nature or the character of God. And so in this moment, God asked me this question and it was, it was a question that stabbed, it was, it was probably one of the three or four times in my life that I've ne- like, it stabbed me in the heart, like stabbed me into the heart to the point where I automatically just wanted to cry and get on my knees because I was like, wow, like I am, wow, I'm so sorry, God. He asked me this question. Was my victory on the cross not enough? Was it not enough? Just let that sink in for a second. Was his victory on the cross not enough? It still stabs me now because there are still areas of my life that I'm still growing in, that we're all still growing in. Was his victory not enough? enough was it not enough and in that moment I obviously I fell to my knees and it's like God I'm so sorry like God I repent for putting my fear for allowing fear to take away from the victory that you've already won from the victory that you've already won it's uncomfortable guys it's an uncomfortable thought to have. It's an uncomfortable thing to be standing up here and saying. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Maybe there are things that God's said to you in the last 10 weeks. Maybe there's something that God said to you this week and you, you just threw it to the side. Maybe, maybe there's something that God's been telling you just like 
pounding down the door on. And you're just like, you haven't thrown it to the side, but you're not sure if you feel capable of doing it. The answer is that you are. You know, we sing songs saying, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, forever, amen. We sing songs that every knee will bow, every tongue confess. All hail the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the victorious one, the lamb who is worthy to open the scroll. And yet maybe there are parts of our lives where that doesn't exactly reflect. Now, the good news is, that unlike Moses, we have Christ inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, poured out for all mankind. And you see, Moses, he, he obviously ended up obeying the Word of God with hesitation, but he obeyed the Word of God. He, he went back to Egypt and we all know the story. There were, there were 10 different plagues, ended up, you know, delivering the, the, the Israelites, sorry, from the hand of the Egyptians. He, he obeyed, he seized an opportunity and saved a nation. Do you guys ever think like, what would have happened if Moses didn't obey God? That was something I was thinking about this morning as I was just finalizing and preparing. I was like, wow, like what if Moses listened to the voice of fear and didn't obey God? What would have happened? Now, that's not to say that God couldn't have delivered the Israelites, but how different would the story have looked if Moses disobeyed and said no because of fear? See, one, one simple step of obedience delivered a nation. What are the things in your life that God's knocking on your door and saying, hey, mate, can you do this? You don't know what the outcome of you obeying God can bring. What if salvation for the entire city of Casey and the Cardinia Shire came from a simple moment of obedience in this room or a simple yes to God in your heart in your heart to do something what if what if what if change can come in your workplace what if people begin to experience the love of God just because of a simple yes in your heart and a no to fear. I don't, I don't say these things, and I'm not preaching this way this morning to make you feel shame. You know, there's a difference between shame and conviction. Because conviction says, wow, like I, I stuffed up, I did something wrong but that's not oh, who I am, this is who I am. That's what God says, that's what conviction is. Conviction always calls you higher. Shame says like, oh, you screwed up because you are screwed up. 
And so I'm not, I'm not trying to shame you this morning and I'm not trying to motivate you by shame. And I definitely don't want you to be motivated to go and do things because of obligation, because you feel bad. That is not what I'm saying this morning. But what I am saying this morning is that there is always more that we can do. And maybe, just maybe, on the highway of life that you're living on, just off the, to the left here, there's a burning bush. And God's saying, come and check it out. Maybe there's multiple burning bushes. Maybe there's no burning bush just yet. You don't know, like, I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know what the Lord's been saying to you all individually. But I'm just posing the question to you. What now? What now? Because I believe in a God who is victorious. He is all-powerful. He is all-present. And 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross. And I'm personally pretty sick and tired of seeing that victory, that victorious moment be downplayed because of fear. I'm honestly sick and tired of it. And I'm not saying that because everyone in this room is bound by fear. I'm saying that because there's a part of my heart that is moved by a righteous anger, justice, whatever you want to call it, that says, I'm sick and tired of seeing fear stop the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is already victorious. It is, isn't it? We are, we are seated at the right hand of the Father. We are, we are His children. We have been given the authority. You know, and it, it says in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, it says it, we all know it. We all know it. The question is, what now? What are you going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? There are personally things in my life right now that, I, like that, that God is knocking on my door saying, hey, buddy, like, hey, buddy, come on, come on, Nath, like, you, you need to do this. Like, Nath, this is going to be good for you. Nath, this, Nath, that. And look, it's not comfortable sometimes. But God didn't promise that it would be comfortable. He promised it would be good. He promised that he would be faithful. He will be. He didn't promise it would be comfortable. He didn't promise it would be comfortable. What now? You know, because this is, in my mind, I think this is a pretty confronting sermon. I think this is a pretty good sermon. I'm pretty happy with how it's gone. But it, it all means nothing. It all means nothing if you don't personally choose to obey, if you don't personally choose to, to take the opportunity that's in front of you. I'm obeying by saying what I feel like the Lord's telling me to say, even though I don't really want to say it. It's our turn. It's our job. It's our responsibility. It's our opportunity to not settle. His kingdom isn't, it's, it's not that his king, his kingdom isn't settling. His kingdom isn't, oh, let's get to the promised land and let's just, 
park right here because there's milk and honey and it's really good, really tasty. We're not going anywhere, ever. I mean, that isn't the kingdom of God that I know. Just like what Kel said, like, you know, oh God, I pray that, you know, the doctors would find the blood cot. Like, that's a, that's a lovely prayer. It really is. But how, how much more powerful, how much more seated in authority, how much more knowing the, the power that, and the, the authority that's inside of you in, is saying like, hey God, remember how I prayed that prayer? Actually, I'm going to upgrade that and say like, blood clots, disappear, go away. You don't belong here. Because the reality is, the reality is, we've been given the keys to the kingdom. You know, picture yourself as a 16-year-old boy and if your dad gave you keys to an Audi R8, are you going to get in that car and are you going to go 40 kilometers an hour? (laughs) Yes, you are. You are going to go 40 kilometers an hour because you obey the laws. But imagine there are no road rules. Imagine you're in Germany and you're going in on the Autobahn. There we go. Context for the story. Imagine you're in Germany, you got an Audi R8, your dad's like, go take it for a spin, son. Are you going to sit in the left-hand lane and go 40 kilometers an hour? Or are you going to punch it till it absolutely tops out at 220 kilometers an hour? But it's, it's irrelevant. The details are irrelevant. What, what are you going to do though? You're obviously going to want to test the car and you're going to want to test the car to the speed that you're going to want to test it, whatever you're comfortable with, but you're not going to sit in the left-hand lane and go 40 kilometers an hour. So why are we doing that with the kingdom of God? Why are we choosing to sit in the left-hand lane because it's comfortable, because it's safe, because fear? Why? That isn't the gospel that I know. That isn't the gospel that I believe in. That isn't the victory that we read about. Oh, it's not. I wish it was, because it'd be, it'd be a pretty sweet life, wouldn't it? You're saved, you got a ticket to heaven, awesome. No. There's so much more. We are made for so much more. What now? What are you going to do with it? What now? I actually just want you to close your eyes for a moment. And maybe, maybe there's some things that while I've been talking, you've been feeling like, oh, yeah, like you, you, you just know. Maybe there's something that God's been saying and being like, hey, son, daughter, there's this. Maybe there's, maybe there's something that you said no to a long time ago that God's wanting you to just say yes to in your heart. I just want you to take a moment and um, if, if you need to repent, you can repent. If you need to apologize to the Lord, you can. If you need to say yes to something, if, if there's something that you're like, oh, I've been resisting this for so long because of this reason, but God, in this moment, I want to give it to you and I want to say yes then this is that opportunity to do it. This is that opportunity to do it. Father, we just come before you right now. God, we come before you right now.
humbly, your children. And if there's something in our life where, you know, we haven't obeyed, if there's something in our, in our hearts where we've resisted you, Lord, we just repent right now in this moment. God, we just say we don't want to do that anymore. God, we know we're made for so much more than this. God, we're choosing to not settle. God, we want to get in the fast lane with you. God, we want to turn to the side. We want to make a conscious decision this morning to turn to the side, to step out of our ways and to step into yours. God, we just want to step into your ways. In your name we pray. Amen.